If you've ever watched the Three Stooges, you probably know that the theme song at the beginning of their films was The Three Blind Mice. We sang it in grade school, at least I did, as a round. Three blind mice, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife. She cut off their tails with a carving knife. Three blind mice. It would never have occurred to me singing that, and we sang it a lot, to ask, why were those mice blind? And why did the farmer's wife cut off their tails? But these are the questions that the former poet laureate of the U.S., Billy Collins, asks in a poem whose title is also the first line. I chop some parsley while listening to Art Blakey's version of Three Blind Mice, and I start wondering how they came to be blind. If it was congenital, they could be brothers and sister. And I think the poor mother brooding over her sightless young triplets, how did they ever manage to find one another? Would it not be difficult for a blind mouse to locate even one fellow mouse with vision, let alone two other blind ones? And how in their tiny darkness could they possibly have run after a farmer's wife, or any else's wife for that matter, not to mention why? That word why hangs over this Sunday's gospel of the man born blind. Why was he born blind? Was it his sin or the sin of his parents? The apostles here are assuming that his physical defect, blindness, implies a moral defect. The idea that children are punished for their parents' sin comes from Exodus chapters 20 and 34. He visits the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Holding children accountable for the sins of their parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents is not especially constructive of a theology of hope. Attributing moral causes to physical illness or natural disasters may sound primitive, but you don't have to page back to the Old Testament to find this theology at work. Back in 2001, the same year when Billy Collins was the poet laureate of the U.S., two prominent Christian televangelists, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robinson, said that the September 11th terrorist attacks was God's punishment for America's abandonment of biblical morality. Now, is this the God we are in fact worshiping this morning? Today's gospel gives an answer to the question. It comes in two versions, the short answer and the long one. I assume you prefer the short one, so here it is. No. Either way, long or short, the answer involves a form of theology called theodicy, which attempts to explain why God permits evil. If this were anything but a homily on Letari Sunday, we could spend a couple of hours theodicizing with one another. But the gospel cannot be read in isolation from its place in the Lenten liturgy. And that is because the Church's main preoccupation in Lent is twofold, preparing catechumens for baptism and preparing the rest of us to renew our baptismal promises at the Easter Vigil. The word baptism comes from a Greek verb, baptizo, meaning to wash or to dip or to submerge. If you took a bath this morning, you baptizoed yourself. This is what we call in the Western Church baptism, but in the Eastern Church it's called photismos, 
meaning illumination or enlightenment. It comes from the another Greek word, phos, for light. Think of the English word photo. Photismos is the term that Gregory of Nisianden, Gregory of Nyssa, Justin Martyr, Tertullian used because they understood that blindness is not always a physical condition. It can also be a moral condition. Baptism, or photismos, was the sacrament that opens up our eyes to the light of truth about ourselves, about the world, about each other, about God. The fathers developed this theology with all its rich symbolism, not just by reading this gospel. They read John 9 within the context of the liturgy of Lent when they celebrated the scrutinies with those preparing for baptism. So in the early church, if you sought baptism, you had to enroll your name at the beginning of Lent. And on the first Sunday of Lent, the candidates were led one by one in church to the bishop who asked a series of questions. But this is the point. The questions weren't asked of the candidates themselves. They were asked of the families friends and neighbors. Does he live a good life? Is she addicted to alcohol? Is he or she personally honest, respectful, trustworthy, morally upright? If the answer was no, then the bishop sent them away with the words, let them amend their lives and when they have, then let them come to baptism. Those admitted to baptism were called the photizomenoi, those who are coming into the light. They began their immediate preparation for the Easter sacraments at the Great Vigil. Now, these questions, this process, might sound to us excessively judgmental, perhaps a bit too public. But Christianity was not just a way of believing, it was also a life path, a way of living in the world with one's eyes open to the conviction that the world was created by God and that it is fundamentally good, that it's worth loving and therefore, on God's part, worth saving at the cost of the Incarnation and the Cross. This is the background that we need to understand the Gospel for this Sunday of Lent. The catechumens are being confronted with the witness of a man born blind whose eyes are opened by Jesus of Nazareth. And the lesson is not just learning how to open your eyes, but learning who the agent is. In the Gospels, the gift of sight and the judgment of blindness always revolve around the person of Jesus Christ. To be united with him in baptism is to have our eyes open, not merely in the sense of physical seeing, but seeing with the eyes of faith. This is a kind of seeing, I think we all recognize, that demands more than 20-20 vision. It means insight. And it is insight, the ability to see beneath the surface, to read God's presence at work in the man Jesus of Nazareth, that is the hinge on which the gospel story turns. This is the miracle of the miracle, or rather the story of the miracle within the miracle. Not merely that Jesus gives sight to a man born blind, but that in looking at the human Jesus, the man born blind comes to see that he is the Son of God. There would have been much for the catechumens to chew over in this passage, 
They call to see their sin, their stubbornness, their weakness, but also to see God in the midst of it. Loving, healing, and reconciling them to himself. This is the insight that we call faith. It demanded no small amount of courage because it's always a temptation to settle back into the old sightless patterns patterns of living and to cloak ourselves with darkness. Well, we have no catechumens with us this morning preparing for the Easter mysteries. This is a monastery, not a parish. But we don't need one to remind us that we have all, in some way or other, made our own personal pact with darkness. At least the three blind mice have an excuse. <laughs>